0: Well, let me extend my welcome to you It's so great to see uh, you here and uh, so great to know that so many are online worshiping with us today as we continue the sermon series that's called better CS Lewis said that sometimes we're like children making mud pies in an alley, so to speak, when we could be building sandcastles at the beach. And the the point of this series is to say that in scripture, over and over again, Jesus offers us a a better path, a better life, he offers us grace, he offers us a better way. And today, uh, in week two of this four part series, we wanna focus on a better sacrifice. Now, if you've spent any amount of time thumbing through the pages of the Bible, especially uh, the first three-fourths of the Bible, the the Old Testament, you know that the Bible talks a lot about sacrifice. It's a a crucial part of God's story, uh, of God's relationship with us. But as we'll discover today, it's it's possible to choose a lesser kind of sacrifice. It's possible even to choose a worthless sacrifice. And so today, we're going to ask Jesus to teach us a better form of sacrificial living. And our passage is in Matthew chapter 9, uh, and we're going to read verses 9 through 13. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners." God bless the reading of his word. Now, there's a lot happening in these five verses in Matthew chapter nine. So, just really quickly, I want to take kind of a satellite aerial view just so we kind of map out some of the big movement that's happening in this passage. Uh, We begin with Jesus. He's taking a walk in a city called Capernaum. He approaches a tax collector named Matthew. He says to Matthew, Follow me. Matthew does. Matthew invites Jesus to a dinner at his home with all of Matthew's friends. Then some people see this dinner taking place. They criticize Jesus. And then our passage concludes with what in many Bibles would be red letters, like the, the, the words of Jesus. And in a sense, I want to begin the sermon by looking at something Jesus says at the end of our passage. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. And he says these words from, he's actually quoting from Hosea chapter six, verse six, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, one of the things that's so powerful about the Bible and yet at times so maddening (laughs) about the Bible is just when you think you've figured out what a table setting of respectable religion looks like, Jesus comes and flips over the table. Just when you think you you kinda got things figured out, Jesus says, maybe maybe you don't. And so, you can look through the Old Testament especially, and, and you can find that one of the major concepts of what it means to be a pious believer of God in the Old Testament, is sacrifice there's a whole book in the Bible called Leviticus and it's filled almost you know to the brim with all these different kinds of sacrifices different kinds of sacrifices for different kinds of purposes on different kinds of holy days with different kinds of grain or different kinds of animals and then the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament and Jesus quoting him in the New Testament says but I desire mercy not sacrifice Wait, what? <laughs> it said sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What, what, what is going on here? Well, to answer that, we're going to have to do some detective work. Okay, uh, and so I want you to invite you to do a little bit of detective work in me. You're going to need your Sherlock Holmes hat uh, on, um, and, uh, and so we're going to look at look at some clues in the Old Testament. Now the first thing I just want to say we're off the bat is when Jesus says I desire mercy not sacrifice he's obviously not contradicting the Old Testament because he's quoting from the Old Testament okay he's quoting from Hosea but I think what Jesus is saying here in quoting Hosea is he's exposing a warped view a shallow view of what it means to live a faithful life what it means to engage in sacrificial worship of God and so as we put on that Sherlock Holmes hat, I want us to spend just a couple minutes looking at some important clues about this passage that are in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, and, and then we'll come back, and, and armed with those clues, we'll, we'll read Matthew 9 again. But um, the first clue is in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. There's a king, tall, good-looking, shallow. His name is Saul. And uh, he has been uh, given very specific instructions, challenging instructions for us as we read it, about ultimately uh, and completely destroying an evil enemy called the Amalekites. And not just the enemy, but also all of their sheep and all of their cattle. But King Saul participated in what you might call a partial obedience to what God had instructed. And he actually saved some of the sheep and some of the cattle for himself. And so God sent a well-known prophet named Samuel. Samuel uh, goes to approach and confront King Saul. King Saul sees Samuel coming, and he's probably thinking to himself, oh, no, here comes Samuel again. And he says to Samuel, the Lord bless you. (laughs) I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And Samuel says, then why do I hear the baaing of sheep and the mooing of cows? And then the prophet Samuel says something so devastating. He says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, to listen and respond to what God is saying is better than sacrificing the fat of rams. First clue. Right? Pretty powerful. In other words, what, what, what Samuel is saying, yes, King Saul, you did sacrifice some animals, yeah, but your heart wasn't in it. Uh, you use these religious rituals as a way to cover over a greedy uh, and disobedient heart. Okay, second clue. We're gonna jump a few years to King Saul's successor, a guy named King David. And uh, unfortunately, while King David fared much better than King Saul, Uh, King David also was known to show hypocrisy. And one of the most notorious acts of, of hypocrisy on the part of King David was when he honored God in public while privately pursuing the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers. And David was confronted about it, this time by another prophet, a prophet named Nathan. And David wrote a A prayer, a song of confession, one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 51. And I want you to notice something that I think is so fascinating that David, a loyal Jew, prays in Psalm 51, this confession psalm, verses 16 and 17. He's talking to God and he says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken, we might say, humble, confessing, contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Isn't that interesting? What's David realizing? He's realizing that this outwardly obedient religious sacrifice is not a magic formula to cover over a deceitful heart. You know, it would be easy for David to do a few good religious deeds at, at, at a temple next Sunday, right? At a tabernacle next Sunday. But, 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 but God is after our hearts. David realizes that what God wants most from us is a tender, humble, repentant heart. And that's so much better than external sacrifice. Okay, let's jump forward a few hundred years to this quote from Hosea. Uh, last fall, we talked a lot about Hosea, Uh, he's this prophet with this uh, uh, very unusual career. Uh, God had him marry an unfaithful woman in order for Hosea to know experientially how God's heart has been regularly broken by Israel. And then Hosea quotes God in chapter 6, verse 6, saying, and these are the words that Jesus quotes, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings all right detectives three clues right three clues from the old testament that 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 all kind of come together that build uh an argument so to speak of why it is so easy to misuse religious practices as a cover for rebellion for pride for secret sin. Now, how does that work in our context? Well, maybe there's something in my life that is really wrong and I need to repent of it. But then I say to myself, you know what? Instead of like actually repenting, instead of actually obeying God, instead of actually coming to God with a broken and contrite heart, uh, you know what? I, I think what I'll do is I'll just put a little money in the offering plate. And I'm sure God will be happy with that. Instead of uh, confessing a wrong to my spouse, I know I'll volunteer to teach Sunday school, I'll do some external religious practice to cover over my sinful heart. And what God is saying to us is that's not the kind of sacrifice I'm looking for. What I'm ultimately after is not your volunteer hours or your offering envelopes. What I want is your heart. I want your broken, humble, merciful, obedient heart. That's the true sacrifice. That's the better sacrifice. So, with that Old Testament background in mind, let's come back to Matthew chapter nine. We did a quick aerial overview, but, but I want to dig into chapter nine and I want to try to answer this question. So, what is it? What is the, the better sacrifice? that Jesus seeks from us. What is the better sacrifice? Now this is how I read it, your mileage may vary, but to me, this is the kind of sacrifice. I wanna talk about two characteristics of the kind of sacrificial living that Jesus calls us to. And the first is this, it's a sacrifice of grateful obedience. It's a sacrifice of gratitude in response to grace of grateful obedience. So let's jump back into the setting of Matthew 9. Let's say you are a Jewish tourist in the first century and you've rented a cabin uh, in this lakeside village of Capernaum, northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. There's a guy everybody knows, his name is Matthew. He's evidently good with pen and paper. He's good with math, but he works for the Romans. He works for your enemy and uh, your occupier, if you will, the Roman Empire. And Matthew's job is to calculate and collect taxes at a toll booth. It's right there near the water where there's a lot of, of mercantile traffic going on. You've got people, caravans coming from Damascus on their way to the Mediterranean Sea. You've got a lot of, of, of um, you know, produce that's being moved on the lake, and so there's lots of opportunity for Rome to get its uh, hands into the money of the people who are passing that way, and so that's Matthew's job. His job is to collect tolls for the Romans. Uh, The the Romans called him by the Latin name publicanus. Um, it It was a public duty, they said, Uh, to pay your taxes to Rome. By the way, that's where the the King James word publican comes from. But we know him as a a tax collector. His fellow Jews knew him as as a cheat and a traitor because he worked for the enemy and tax collectors were reputed to take money off the top for themselves. And to make matters worse, if you're a tax collector working for Rome, then you're changing money with gentiles you're changing money with people who are spiritually unclean and you're getting spiritually contaminated yourself there's matthew you're walking by you see matthew but then you see jesus of nazareth coming because capernaum was also for a time a ministry base for, for jesus and one day he's walking through capernaum and he spots Matthew. The text tells us that Matthew is seated. Of course, he's doing his work as a tax collector. No doubt he's heard of Jesus before. And and look what happens in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. Let's say you're Matthew. All your professional life, you've been getting that look from citizens of Capernaum, a look of scorn, a look of disgust. And you could argue it's a look that you deserve because you are cheating your own people, which is kind of a disgusting thing to do. But when Jesus looks at Matthew, he communicates something far different from scorn And rejection. Because apparently when Matthew stares into the eyes of Jesus, Matthew sees interest. Matthew sees compassion. Matthew hears a very clear invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, the same thing he says to fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John. He says, follow me. And the text says that that Matthew got up. That Matthew arose. Now, in one sense, he'd have to, right? Because he's sitting down, and it's hard to follow Jesus if you're sitting down in a chair. Um, but I find it very interesting that the Greek word for, for got up here is, is a word called anastas. Anastas. Maybe you've heard the name uh, Anastasia before. And it's a word, one of the words in the New Testament, that's used for resurrection. It's used for rising from the dead. It's almost as if Matthew rises from a grave of scorn and shame to enter a new life, what will ultimately be a new resurrected life with Jesus. Now there was a commentator that led me to a fascinating detail. He says, he says think about where this passage falls. So if you think about the two chapters, let's say the one that precedes it, Matthew 8, in Matthew chapter 9. If you start at the beginning of Matthew 8 and you just start taking your finger down your old school Bible, if you just start scrolling in your new school Bible, you know what you will see? Almost, almost uh, uh, in every passage, not every, but almost every passage, you'll see a story of healing. I mean, if you started at the beginning of chapter 8, uh, you would see the paralyzed servant of a centurion healed. And then you would see Peter's mother-in-law healed. And then when word gets out in Capernaum, you, you would have all these people in Peter's backyard and front yard and they would be healed by Jesus. And then you would see Jesus restore two men who were possessed by demons. And then you would see Jesus heal a man who was paralyzed and lying on a mat. And then toward the end of chapter nine, you would see Jesus raise a girl from the dead and you would see him heal a sick woman and heal a blind man and heal a guy who can't talk so much healing, 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 and then Matthew's story right, right there in the mix. It's like Matthew's sneaking his own story. What's Matthew trying to tell us? Many early church theologians said that Matthew wants you to read his story as a healing miracle as well. Only Matthew was healed of greed. Matthew was healed of his shame. In fact, the early church saw this as a miracle. The miracle of a hated tax collector transformed into one of the 12 apostles. A miracle of mercy. And that miracle of mercy prompts Matthew to grateful obedience. He leaves his lucrative job to become a follower of Jesus. And then I love this, Matthew, who by the way, sometimes in, um, in the New Testament you have different names, Simon Peter, for example, uh, Matthew is, is also called by the name Levi in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. And uh, if you put these, uh, kind of the Luke passage and, and uh, also the, the Matthew passage together, you see that Matthew is inviting Jesus into his home, and Matthew's inviting all of his friends and, and, his, and his co-workers, these Uh, what the New Living Translation calls disreputable sinners. People with loose morals or sketchy theology or both. And Matthew is sharing his hospitality. He's sharing his newfound faith by inviting Jesus to meet all of his friends. And I just want to make a little side note here. I love the way Matthew combines faith and friendship. A little illustration. Have you ever... Known somebody, or are you one of these kind of people that you don't like your food to touch? You like those divided plates, maybe, and you get really nervous when somebody serves you on a flat plate, and then it's like, oh no, the the the, the mashed potatoes are going to touch the green beans, are going to touch the roast beef, and and you get a little nervous about that. Right? Well, that's I, I'm not I'm not preaching against that. Okay, I want to be really clear. You you are free to you are free in Christ to do that. Uh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. It's fine if you do that with your food. But some people do that with their faith. They never want their faith to touch their work or their friendships. They keep their faith separate. But for Matthew, it was the most natural thing in the world for him to share his friendship with Jesus with his friends. And I think this is a part of his grateful obedience. He, he starts following Jesus as a, a, a disciple, and then he immediately introduces his friends to Jesus. What is a, a better sacrifice? What is a better way of honoring God with our lives? I think it's the sacrifice of Matthew, fueled by deep gratitude that Jesus has looked upon us with compassion rather than scorn. We receive his mercy, but we also share his mercy. We share his mercy with people who desperately need more real friends in their lives, who desperately need a friendship with Jesus and with friends of Jesus. I remember reading this story years ago. It was when social media was was a shiny new toy. Uh, It was back in 2008, and everybody was getting all excited about something called Facebook. And there was a guy named Hal who had started a Facebook account, and he just started adding friends, adding friends, adding friends, and he got up to 700 online friends. And he says, for a time, he said, I was absurdly proud of how many cyber pals I had, how many connections, how many uh, acquaintances, how many even strangers signed up to be friends with me. And then he says, for a variety of reasons, he began to know that while all these online friends were growing, um, his, he had fewer flesh-and-blood friends than ever before to hang out with. And so Hal decided to do an experiment. He decided to have a party, and, and he was inviting all of his virtual friends to come. He invited all 700 of his friends to a, a local bar for a party that he was hosting. And he said, you can respond in one of three ways, attending or maybe attending or not attending. He said, of his 700 friends... Fifteen said they would be there. Sixty said they might be there. He tempered his expectations. He expected about 20 people to show up. And then he writes about what happened next. He said, on the evening of the party, I took a shower. That's good. Uh, He says, I shaved. I put on cologne. I put on new pants and a favorite shirt. Brimming with optimism, I headed over to the neighborhood watering hole and waited and waited and waited, and eventually one person showed up. He said, I didn't even know her. (laughs) She was the friend of a friend. He said, we ended up making small talk. She left, Hal says, I waited till midnight. No one else showed up. And so he says, so I ordered a beer and sulked. 700 friends, and that night I was drinking alone. Now, the article had a bit of tongue-in-cheek feel to it, to be sure. But I wonder if the message is, is quite a bit more serious. I wonder if increasing numbers of people will tell you they need a calculator to count all their contacts on Facebook or LinkedIn, but when it comes to counting their true friends, is it... Is it one hand? Is it much less than one hand? I mean, when it comes to people who really know them, but still look upon them with compassion instead of disinterest or scorn, people who are pleased to break bread with them around a table, how many people look around and say, it's hard for me to count one true friend? I love it that when Matthew sees Jesus looking in his direction, he gratefully follows Jesus. But then he says, I want to invite my friends over. I want my friends to meet Jesus too. That's a better sacrifice. One of grateful obedience. But there's a second characteristic I don't want you to miss. And that's a sacrifice of continual repentance. By the way, just two points if you're worried about, well, we're going to get to the third. Just two points, all right? If You're watching... You're watching the clock. Okay, so a sacrifice of continual repentance. What does that mean? Well, let's eavesdrop in on this tense conversation. There were some nosy people who were hanging out in Matthew's front yard on the day that Jesus was having the dinner. There's was a group of religious separatists, people who specialize in looking down on everybody else, people who specialize in criticizing Jesus. No show of hands, but have you ever known somebody with the spiritual gift of criticism? I mean, they're just experts at it. Well, that's these guys in Matthew's front yard. And in that day before central air conditioning, uh, it was not unusual for a group of people to hang out in your yard and peer through your window and just kind of comment on all the things that are going on uh, at your dinner. And that's apparently what these people were doing. In fact, they they caught the attention of uh, some of Jesus' disciples and they, they, they point to Jesus and they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation renders it a little more freely. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? The New Living Translation puts it. The message paraphrase says, why is Jesus acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? And Jesus overhears the conversation, of course. You ever thought about that? Jesus always overhears our conversation. (laughs) Every snide remark that we whisper to a gossipy co-conspirator, Jesus hears all that. Hears all of it. And Jesus responds in some interesting ways. First, he shares what was likely a well-known proverb. Chapter 9, verse 12. On hearing this, the, the critical chatter in the front yard of Matthew's house, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of the New Testament. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus is sharing something powerful about his own heart. Jesus is saying, my heart is the heart of a healer. One commentator, R.T. France, says that a healer has to get their hands dirty. I mean, a healer, imagine this, a, a physician, say, who avoids those who are physically, morally, or spiritually sick, they're not good to anybody. Jesus says, I'm a healer. I'm called to the sick. I'm called to sinners. And then he follows it up in verse 13, by saying this, he says, but go and learn. He's saying this, by, by the way, to people who, um, who are very proud of their Bible knowledge. <laughs> and Jesus says, but go and learn. Become a beginner again. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's the quote from Hosea 6. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the heart, friends. In the kingdom of God, there's only one kind of people, Sinners. Saved by grace. That's it. If you're not a sinner, you don't get in. (laughs) If you're not a sinner, Jesus didn't come for you. He came for sinners. The Pharisees were sinners, but they didn't realize it. Jesus didn't come to the more righteous to ignore the less righteous. He came to those who realized that they were sinners. The Pharisees are tragically confused about their state. Now, I want to be clear, there are times in the Bible when we are urged to avoid people whose sinful behavior might encourage us to to kind of join in with them. And so if we're not in a place where we can resist that temptation, it would be better to avoid their company. Psalm 1 warns us about, uh, you know, walking in step with the wicked and uh, and hanging out with the scoffers, those who are, are cynical and proud and scoff at everything. So there are times when we have to to know ourselves and say, I can't do that because if I hang out there, I'm just going to get caught up in all that. But I think that's talking about temptation. Jesus is talking about love. And so he says, go and learn. He says to these Bible experts, you don't know the heart of the scripture. Go and learn the heart of God. The heart of God is mercy. And any sacrifice that lacks mercy is a lesser sacrifice. Any religious deed done from callous pride is offensive to God. The better sacrifice is humble. It's one of continual confession. It's one of continually asking God for mercy. Here's the good news, friends, for us. We don't have to offer the sacrifice of goats and sheep and bulls to to earn our salvation or even to ask for our salvation because Jesus Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. That sacrifice has been made. Unlike Moses, David, Saul, Hosea, we don't need to sacrifice the blood of animals because Christ's blood, Christ's sacrifice on the cross has paid it all. Jesus paid it all, not some. He paid it all. And so do you say, okay, now, because Jesus is my ultimate sacrifice, I don't need to live sacrificially. I can live selfishly. No, 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 no. Romans 12 says, in view of the mercy of God who has sacrificed all for us, We present our bodies as living sacrifices, living sacrifices. We don't bring a a goat. (laughs) We say, no, I'm the sacrifice. Yeah, a living sacrifice. Yes, please. Don't incinerate me. I'm a living sacrifice. But yes, I'm the sacrifice. (laughs) Hebrews 13 says we bring a sacrifice of praise. Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 8 says our prayers are like incense, an incense sacrifice to God. But in each one of these acts, it's our grateful, humble, confessing, obedient heart that God desires to take the mercy that we've received from Christ and to give it back and to share it. There was a rabbi once, uh, his name was Elliot Kukla, and he he said he knew this woman and, and, and she had a brain injury and sometimes you'd just be like at a party or whatever, and she had this brain injury, and sometimes she would just immediately fall to the floor. And he said whenever that, she said, whenever that happened, people would kind of rush around her, and they would just almost immediately try to get her back on her feet, whether she was ready yet or not, you know? And this woman with the brain injury said to the rabbi, you know, I think people rush to help me because it's really uncomfortable for them to see a grown woman lying on the floor. She said, you know what I really need first before these hands that lift me up? She says, I need someone to get down on the ground with me. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to get down on the ground with us, right? He left heaven for earth to get down eye to eye with us, to look upon us, not with scorn, but with love, to sacrifice Himself for us. He came as our doctor. He came as our healer. He came to get his hands dirty. He came to bring us mercy and grace. He came to call us to live differently, a better sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I... I just don't know how your word is is hitting us this morning. Maybe, Lord, for some people, um, they're feeling a little bit like Matthew before you walked by. They're feeling scorn and shame and don't have any clue what to do about it. And then maybe, Lord, some of us are hearing your clear call to follow you, to Accept you into our hearts as Savior and Lord. Maybe, Lord, some of us are identifying with the Pharisees in the front yard and recognizing how easy it is for us to look down on others and not recognize that we, too, need a doctor. Lord, maybe some of us have thought that we could do some external religious practice And that that could cover over a heart that is not right. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are the great physician, that you are the healer. We say to you, we need a doctor today. We need your grace so desperately. Fill us up with your mercy, Lord. And help us offer a sacrifice of praise as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.